Hello and welcome to another episode of the Construction Recorder Podcast. I'm Dylan, I'm your host, and uh, this week, so this is the week of April 25th, Matt and I are actually live and in person uh, to ourselves. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often. Nope. First time ever, actually. Yeah, no, uh, no studio audience or anything like that, but we are live and in person. So uh, one, good to be here, and two, we are uh, on location in uh, Raleigh, so not in Michigan or California. There, there are no complaints I can make about the weather. It's sunny and it's beautiful outside and looking forward to going out there soon. Yeah, we're going to hit the lake and uh, spend some time on the water. And Unlike where I live, it's probably going to be like decently warm. <laughs> I, I heard from my wife this morning that the storms are supposed to roll back into where, where I'm from this afternoon. So it's, it's nice to come out of there for a couple of days. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, and even uh, so, we're we're here in Raleigh to to shoot some content, to get together, to find ways to improve, and uh, really all the things that we end up bringing you guys each and every week. So it's fun to be here. Yeah, man, this has been a cool experience. Um, for anybody who, who hasn't heard of uh, Yonder Digital, you should definitely uh, check it out. Dylan and his partner Chris are doing some pretty amazing things, and. I came down to, to shoot some content for, for my construction company, and it has been a uh, definitely worthwhile adventure. Looking forward to seeing the output. <laughs> well, and that's just it, guys. Is uh, you know you can shoot content in a lot of ways. You can do it in studio. You can do podcasts like we've been doing and on Zoom, <laughs> and post those up. Or uh, you could you do some professional stuff. You do some stuff on site. Some stuff with your guys. There's a lot of way to capture those stories and ultimately pass on some knowledge to everybody else i think the key is just doing something right creating content that is where we have gone as not even just as an industry as a society right all business is now based in some level on the content you can provide and how how good the stuff is you can you can get out into the world and the only way to do that effectively is to start telling your story and video is a fantastic way to do that yeah you get a lot of stuff out of video right you get uh, one you get all the modalities of transfer right you get uh, nonverbal communication which is like 90% of it and then the body language is like 60% something stupidly high like that yeah. and then tonality is like the 30 and then the words you actually speak are 10 so, <laughs> so what you're saying is nobody really listens to the shit I'm saying but they're watching me <laughs> well and the emotion that you convey like in how you say it right um which is pretty cool but uh you, so you get a lot of stuff out of video you get a lot of content you get a lot of uh you can do clips you can do video you can do audio you can do pictures right there's all that kind of cool stuff that comes out of video uh, especially and then to share that with uh, clients with trade partners with others in the industry just to show off <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all marketing is good marketing, right? And it, like I said, it's, it's telling your story and it's whatever you chop it up, wherever you, you put it out there, it's, it's getting your name out there, it's getting your face out there. You know, no like and trust. People, people don't know you if they've never seen you. They don't like you if they've never talked to you and they can't trust you if they haven't had the first two. So it's a good start at the very least. Absolutely. And the... Uh... And which is, it's going to lead into where we're going today and going to talk about B2B sales, uh, which is basically the only type of selling that we do in construction. You know, a few of you out there might be doing residential and, uh, you know, selling to a homeowner. By and large, we sell to other businesses, whether that's a trade partner to a general contractor, whether that's a contractor to a owner in the business of whatever they're doing, whether that's a multifamily apartment building, to an office, to a warehouse, to manufacturing, like you're selling to some other business uh, in some way, shape, or form. And we wanna get into really how to, how to do that selling so that you can get people to know, like, and trust you and maybe shorten those sales cycles uh, from the standard five years down to, let's say, two. <laughs> I can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt, if there was a way 
to, to effectively shrink those sales cycles down, it would be worth its weight in gold. Because that, you know, the projects that we do, typically my sales cycle is a year, maybe maybe more. It just depends on, on scale. But, you know, to, to find a way to effectively communicate with the business you're trying to sell to, if you can start shrinking those down, then everybody wins. The, business, the, the client gets their project faster. We get our contract faster. You know, production happens sooner. There's, there's all kinds of benefits that we could have if we started condensing those impossibly long schedules. Well, and I think, so like you look at a traditional sales cycle for a project and it happens, uh, so let's go the RFP route. Like, so in an RFP route, you have three months, six, like what is the time to actually form what the RFP is going to package it. Um, honestly, the last one that I saw was, was like a month. That was pretty typical. We don't look at a whole lot of those anymore because we're trying to, you know, focus our efforts elsewhere. But you know, somewhere between a month and three months, let's say, for them to put an RFP together, then they have review time of who they're going to select to come in and do uh, presentations. So then you have another, let's say, you schedule those a month out. So then the people have been selected. So you've got, let's just say, four months in that. Then once you have all the people come in and present, then you've got couple weeks say another month in there to select it select and contract and approval committees everything else so you're into five six months by that point and then depending on project size then you can start the design process <laughs> yeah which I mean that in and of itself could be I, three months would be really moving you know on a typical project to get it designed and entitled that's that's yeah. screaming down the tracks for like a, and that's like a five, $10 million project. Yeah. You know, to design it, entitle it, to get drawings out, at least civil and structural, you know, it's at least a month, if not more, two really, plus a month for entitlements. So you're, I mean, that's a year, but that's not really sales site. Now you're in the project cycle, but you know, it took six months on the front side, but then you had to be one of the people ready to, present for RFP or that were invited for the RFP and so you back that up is I mean that could be a year or two easily <clears throat> you know because how much time do you put into building the relationship so that you even get a chance to get the invitation like if you start like tacking on all the actual timeline that goes into this game you could be pick a number three years, five years, right? you know, you, you got to impress somebody enough that somewhere down the line in the future, they're going to want to even send you something and, and want to have you respond to an RFP or, you know, whatever it may be. And then they, because of that, like they heard of you somewhere and you did a project for somebody and then, or you showed up at their door enough to allow you to come into it. But this is the other side of that process is, so one of the things uh, most firms don't think about is within an RFP process, right? If you got invited because you're somewhat known or they understand that you're, you can do whatever it is that they're asking you to do, whether that's on the design or construction side, but you're not a front runner, right? You got invited to the dance, but you're not going home with the girl. Right, <laughs> like for sure, you know, like one of those deals, or the the chance of success is slim. Yeah, you know, the jock had to slip and bust his face for you to get a chance in there. Is now going into that, you're being seen as a loser, and most people don't think about the psychology of that. That you keep coming up for these RPs, but they always see you as second fiddle. <clears throat> You're the guy that needs the practice. That's what we call it around my office. You know, you, you're the one that needs the practice estimating or putting proposals together or doing presentations. You're the, what the hell's the bridesmaid saying? Forever a bridesmaid, never a bride, whatever that means. But I think it's the same, same idea we're getting at here. Like you have that, that negative connotation now will kind of follow you around until you somehow break the cycle 
But if you're not getting any better, how do you break the cycle? Well, but this is the, like, in no like, and trust factor, right? They know you. They might like you, but they've never trusted you enough to award you a project. Take a chance on you. And they've never trusted you more than the other guy. So, but you always show up in the same manner, right? And the other guy is probably showing up in some other way that you're not, right? Whether that's <clears throat> as much as this, this is going to be cliche on the golf course, at lunch, at the charity functions, at the ball, right? Like all these other events that are around whatever it is you're trying to go after. Because you have to remember like in construction, we're dealing, we're not dealing with a $500 widget, right? I'm not trying to close you today. I'm not trying to <laughs> get you to come home tonight. You know, the, the goal here I really like this is I'm trying to get you to spend 10 million with me for the next 30 years it's a good way to look at it especially in the contracting world right oh yeah like your subs are trying to get you to do business with them feed them you know millions of dollars of work a year for the next 30 years yeah yeah I mean that's that's just it like that's the the perpetuity of the, the contracting world you're not going to get rich and retire off of one building, one subcontract, one prime contract. It doesn't happen that way. You have to be able to generate that continuous influx. And on my side of the table, frankly, that's more difficult, I think, than on the subcontractor side. But you know what you were just getting to, yes, like my carpenters are, are making a move to gain my trust and my favor for the next foreseeable long-term gain. So that someday, yes, then they can retire, <laughs> retire and you know go go sailing or whatever they do. Well, right, you're trying to get married, and you're trying to get married to a. Uh, you're building your harem out is effectively what this amounts to. If we're going to continue to use this analogy, but like I mean, as bad as that sounds, it's where you're trying to marry somebody for thirty years, and you're going to do a whole bunch of them, and that's it, right? But it's building long-term relationships with however many people you need to sustain your business and whatever your goals are, right? If it's, you know, 10 million, you, you need one, but one's a bad number in business, right? You got one, you got none. <laughs> you got two, that's a little better, but like you, you need to start having, you know, five, 10 to where one doesn't totally wreck the ship. You know, if you have 10, 20 clients in our world, you know, that's a good stable of clients. You're going to make it through probably just about any economic time. And it'll, you know, on your revenue goals, right? If each one gives you $5 million and you have 10 of them, well, you're a $50 million business. It becomes fairly simple math so yeah. long as your economy, you know, in your area holds that number. So let's, let's kind of take a turn and, and talk about how how best for those subcontractors to make those relationships, right? And I'm interested in your take because you're at a completely different side of that table. Um, so I'm gonna let you go first, but I can tell you, you know, I have a, there's kind of like a standard playbook I've seen, right? Where new subs to the market or new subs to me will take like one of two, three, four approaches to try and, you know, get into my club, quote unquote. Um, as somebody who's on the, the professional side of the table, where would you see that they should start? Or how would you see they should they should start trying to get into my good graces? So looking at it from like so on the design side, because so there's two ways to go. Like on for I'll take this as a, as the design side first and then I'll tackle subs. Is so on the design side there's two ways that you go. You're either gonna deal with institutional clients or you're dealing with developers. Like those are the two paths you have. By institutions, I mean schools, higher ed, you know, K-12 higher ed, like those types of institutions or government and, you know, municipalities, uh, jails, what at correction, justice, whatever, like government buildings, and then you've got healthcare. Those are like the three of like what I would call more institutional work healthcare sure. is its own beast <clears throat> but in there like there's and it depends on the healthcare world that you're into so for 
higher education, like you're going to go after RFPs. You're going to go meet uh, board members through charity events. You're going to go meet people through other design events or figure out what they care about, meet them there. Occasionally you'll go after RFPs depending on the facility. Or in like K-12 world, you went after the bond referendum works because then that set you up to basically do the design work on the other side of it. And you worked through like the annual or yeah, like the annual uh, principals association or other school board functions or school functions across the state in like K-12 world. So, and then on the, that's usually, and then the same thing went for government. You know, you show up to design meetings, you, because they can't take any, like that you can't take them out to lunch or anything like that. So that like government gets a little tricky in that, but you feed them like information, you show up at the board meetings, you show up at these places in person and meet people, you know, at a charity event usually, or some other fundraiser or whatever is usually how you got in with them to like meet them and then you feed them information over time and like white papers and all that stuff, especially in the government world because then that doesn't like, that you're giving stuff away for free that has no quote value. So you get around like the whole like gifting thing, right? Giving them information is totally fine. You can't buy them lunch. Right. So in like the government contracting world, that was a lot of it is uh, you get in on those and then you, you do little projects here and there. And the same thing on like healthcare, the same thing on higher ed. Uh, K-12 is a little different. Usually you didn't have like a small project for the district. You did like, you won the new school or you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but in higher ed, usually it was like, hey, we have a classroom renovation. We're willing to give you a shot because our main guys are busy. So don't screw it up, you know? And then you get in and then because you start to know them, now you have, you need to form those relationships very quickly through that tiny project, which means like, don't be annoying, but have a lot of meetings, almost probably for no good reason, other than to have them so that you show up, so that you get to the meeting early, you're there, you stay late, you talk about whatever they care about and build those relationships in and around all those meetings, like I can't tell you how much healthcare work that like we got or I found out about from showing up early, staying late, you know, or really after the meetings that he was like, hey, so we're gonna be building this thing over here. Uh, it's coming down the pike, just wanna let you know. Cool, <laughs> what do you need me to do? <laughs> but on healthcare, like, so for, uh, like when we did all the work for the healthcare system that I work for, we had to, really we got in and somebody knew somebody that knew somebody and we got in and finally got an MSA. So we had a master service agreement with them to where like all the fees were locked, that we were one of you know three, four engineers for them, uh, MEP teams, because they, they did split it to where they had architecture teams and then they had engineering teams but everybody was under MSAs, so they could just hand work. They never had to bid anything on the design side. And then actually they did most of that too on the contracting side where they had MSAs for the contractors and it's like, hey, we're using this contractor for this project, we're using this one for that one, and that's how they ran it. So really you had to get in on the very, very front side of that master service agreement and know somebody at corporate and like work your way through that entire process, which I think takes like, two years to on for MSAs anyway, master service agreements to like get in. But once you're in, you you're in. Like so long as you don't screw anything up, you're golden. So that's how I like I've seen it on the design. You're taking either little projects or you're working in through and I think people really underestimate like charity events. Like and board stuff or golf outings or whatever. Even like in the community that I live in now, like I go to a lot of charity events, mainly because my wife's company supports a lot of stuff and we get to go, like, they buy tickets or whatever, but, you know, we, we bid on the charity auction stuff and do that or go to, we get tickets to some of these other charity events, like the, the amount of movers and shakers that are at those events, because they are, you know, usually the people with money are fairly philanthropic and give back a lot is, like, we meet a lot of people through those events and, like, I'm not... 
do anything locally for like in my area and, and what I you know in engineering projects but and I just meet a lot of people that have influence in the community through these charity events and I think people just greatly underestimate the the value of showing up to select events in your community and to go to that and it's not the chamber events it's not like the you know business advisory thing or whatever I'm sure that in some communities that's maybe worth it but like going to the sheriff's fundraiser the sheriff's dinner the golf outing for whatever the susan g Komen whatever thing you know like the breast cancer fun runs and walks like those are all the places you know you might have to pony up 500 bucks a plate for dinner but though that's where all the decision makers end up being so on design side and, and that would be for you too on the gc side yeah like that's where the people that are making decisions that's where they're at i you couldn't possibly put a value on being in those crowds right <clears throat> the amount of charity functions that that we do and, the, and that we're continuing to do through the construction company it'd blow your mind if i showed you what i've spent this year already just to lock us into those same rooms right and you double benefit right because it is a charity function so you are putting money to a, a typically a very good cause but like you mentioned the the big movers and shakers the, the decision makers that i want to be in front of they're also doing this and they're doing it in a big way and it's it's a repetition value right you're not going to go to one golf outing and expect to be done with it whether you like golf or not like you have to be the face that is continuously showing up to these things that you're having little conversations with these men these women little chunk conversations here and there but over the course of a year you might see them at three or four different events and then three or four different events the next year and so on and so on and that's how you you start building that that social capital with these people <clears throat> and um you know, and it, everybody has fun with it, right? They're, they're fun events. They're, they're great to bring your spouse if, if that's an availability or even if it's just your team. You know, it, it helps build camaraderie inside your own four walls, huge. Uh, you know, and it, it just, it's a good thing to do. And the more you do it, the better off you'll be, the better off these charities get. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that putting the Lucas for Lucas golf outing in that, that mix was a, is a huge one. So anyone in our area, in the Michigan area, in the middle of June, let me know. I'll, I'll get you on a team. But there'll be all kinds of movers and shakers there, my, myself included. <laughs> well, this is the thing that, like, you know, putting on your own event, right, like what you're doing with Lucas for Lucas, like, one, it's a great cause and having Lucas devices. Two, it's your own event, right? and you get to control it. So if you're in a position to create a charity event, whatever that might be, and it could be something that's of cause and concern to you, it's putting all that together, getting the word out in your community. Because again, like we've talked about, like this is all about community. Like, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you're not like, you're not outsourcing <laughs> these decisions to somewhere, you know, corporate might not be in your local area, but by and large, the people in charge of those decisions and who gets awarded what project once corporate assigns the master service agreement like is up to that local you know construction executive at like the hospital you know like for the one that i worked at in indiana like corporate was out of st louis but indiana had like one guy that was in charge of their 300 million dollar a year budget and awarded whatever and then he had like five guys under him you know like you made that guy happy and you make that guy happy by by doing good work and by making him look good to that corporate entity wherever they might be because they can look now on Frank in Indianapolis and say Frank's doing a bang up job of whatever Frank does at the hospital you know we're not having problems the the work is quality it's done on time it's done on, on budget you know it's it's a constant game of making everybody else look good that's that's the key to business right there right yeah, for sure. And like in the engineering world in particular, with the hospital systems, like they relied more on the 
MEP team, I think, than just about anywhere else in an existing hospital. Not necessarily a new build. That is for sure an architectural lead, <laughs> like <laughs> in doing a new hospital. Sure. But in existing, because you had so much like piping and process stuff and sanitization and like med gases and all this other stuff, that whenever we went to like remodel or redo anything or add, they relied so heavily on the MEP team to come in and like just deal with it. So they wanted more than anything in renovations, which is like once it's like 90% of all hospitals, <laughs> it's like they're always under renovation. It's a constant renovation. But it's like for the MEP side of that, and this is also in the, the trades because that's who they rely on very heavily there, is again, once you're in, your job is to then do such a good job that they would be stupid to call anybody else. And that is your goal, is to be so good, so thorough, so knowledgeable about that facility that, you know, for like a main hospital in your given area, like you're the go-to contractor, engineer, sub for that hospital because you know it better than anybody else. And that's where I think a lot of people really screw up that relationship is that's ah, just one project that you know like I don't have time to deal with that there's a give and take right there has to be a balance because I fight with that at all the time right there's there's certain projects that I just they're small right they're, they're so small that I know the, the time and the investment I'm gonna have to put into them regardless of size doesn't really change right and, but to your point if you're trying to build a relationship, if you're trying to, to get in with someone who's going to potentially have more than just the one-off project, every single one isn't gonna be a new 100,000 square foot wing or whatever it may be. You know, you're gonna have to help out and help Frank in the hospital with some of his smaller needs because he's the guy that can, that can literally put food on your plate for the next 10 years. So when Frank needs a closet renovated, you know, while it may not be the glamorous work, it may not be, you know, some big ticket contract that you're, you're looking for. Sometimes you need to just help Frank out and, and do those. And like I said, you know, there, there is a balance because the time, it, time and effort it takes to build a $500,000 project really is almost equal to a $10 million project on, on a lot of levels. All of the pre-construction work, all of the planning, the, the logistics, the coordinating, the contracting, Yes, the dollar values are different, the scale's off, but you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it that you're, you're losing some of that. However, you have, to, you have to take those calculated costs, calculated cost of risk, and, and stretch it across the potential that you could be getting from this individual or this company. You know, you're, you're shooting to make, to build a 10-year or 20-year or 50-year relationship. It's, there's a give and take involved, I guess is my point. So when Frank has the big project, you want him to think of you first because you're also the guy that can take care of him when he's got other annoyances he needs to, to handle for himself. And there's, there's gonna be a little bit of balance in here because it is handling those little projects, but you don't wanna be known as the little project guy. Correct. If you wanna be doing the big projects. And I've seen this go, go two ways. Really, like only a few people get stuck in that small project deal. You need to just let them know, hey man, we can handle more. Like we've got the expertise, we've done bigger stuff, we can handle it. So there's, you know, kind of seeding that idea. But on the other side, I've seen like new offices for design firms that keep getting only little projects, you know, and they can't seem to work their way into bigger bigger projects, more work, and then that office gets labeled as like, because they're losing money left and right on these projects. And it's like nothing ever goes anywhere. And after like two years, you can't, you, you can only eat crow for so long. Yeah. And <clears throat> you, you do have to give it the runway of like, okay, you won some stuff. You won, okay, good, all right. Are you gonna like grow that into bigger things now? And then you just kind of have to let it die on the vine at some point or find somebody to really lead those offices. And so if we go now to, to subcontractors and how I think that they should like approach someone like you, it's going to these events, 
it's finding ways to get in front of you with a unique a unique way to stand out so like as a subcontractor like so one of the examples I want to give is like your electricians so not the chicken but because <laughs> they're already in that but is to to what they've done in their uh, pre-con and fab shop is as a GC who's after budget your most important thing is schedule and they're probably neck and neck and swap back and forth sometimes oh yeah absolutely <laughs> is if you can come to the table with hey here's some ways that we can save you time we're not gonna say that it can save you money it'll save us money but it'll save me time on your project and really allow us to come in and, and quickly and easily knock out a project we've done it for this guy if you can if you have some really good clients get them on video to say that you know XYZ electric is great at what they do and they helped us out and saved us a bunch of time and then you get that you show that other tape to other contractors you send it to them mail it to their office because this is the other thing like everybody wants to bitch about marketing dollars one in construction you can afford to send bigger shit to people because your list of people right your list of target clients let's say you're again subcontractor your list of GC's to work for is like 20 in a given market sure and that's like a big market. And yeah, yeah that's, you're going after all of them, which is probably also not the right move. But I think you know where you're getting at. I, I think is you can you can shrink that number down to a you know pick your pick your target. Maybe it's five, maybe it's ten. You can really stretch your marketing dollars out pretty far when that group is that small. Yeah, and so like let's say it's ten ten guys, right? And let's say that. You, the, the value of a given client on a year, right? So an electrician going for a general contractor. Let's say that, you know, in year one, you're gonna do a million bucks and let's say you have 10% net, mar net margin meeting. So you're gonna do 100 grand in net profit. It would behoove you to spend $1,000 to win that client. Like that's 100 times return on investment. <clears throat> Pretty good investment. So like, but this is, this is the math that in contracting, you know, like in, in widget sales, right? They talk about return on ad spend and like one and a half to two is like killer, right? So you spent 50 bucks, you made like 75 or 100 and you had a million people to sell your widget to. So, you know, your, your bottle of water or case or pallet or whatever, so you've made Again, a million times 25 bucks, you have a, you know, you made 25 million in that deal because you had a million people to sell it to. But if you're now looking at where you have 10 clients <laughs> and you make 100 grand on each of them, so now you're a million dollar a year net business, which ain't nothing to shake a stick at. Right. <clears throat> but in that, like, if you spend a thousand bucks on each of them, but this is where people get like gun shy, you know, like you're talking about charity events and that's significantly more you know you're talking 50 100 depending on how many events you're going to and how much you're bidding on it and how many drinks you have before the bidding starts oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it adds up fast and, and the the pops you have beforehand are are there strategically right <laughs> talking from someone who who has both attended a lot and continues to attend a lot of events and now we're also putting them on that that booze is there for a reason <laughs> more so than just everybody having a good time. Because when you get down to the end of it, you know, your people are gonna spend a lot of money and you want them to have fun doing it. You want, you want them to want to do it, right? And that's, that's part of it, that's part of the game. Well, that's just it. So you can spend, let's just say a thousand bucks a year on clients and that's probably a low value, but like a thousand bucks and doing some cool stuff, like making some, you know, uh, custom backpacks, some custom gifts, some you know, a cool knife, a great shot glass, or a custom glass, or a custom this, that, or the other thing. You can make a thousand bucks go really far. Oh yeah. But most people, like in most marketing, 
it's not quote worth it, right? Your your clients are worth again twenty five dollars <laughs> net. Like you want to if you take that same ten percent or one percent, like you're spending you know twenty five cents. You can't get anything for twenty five cents, right? Like that's just not a thing. Or two fifty, you know. Like here's a pen, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just it's economies of scale, and it, you know it goes back to we started the conversation right we're not we're, we're talking about multi multi multi-million dollar projects you'd be a damn fool to not see the value in spending something with that sort of return on investment it, it's a hard market to get into it's a hard market to stay into there are not an unending number of clients out there right there's it's not it's not the widget market where you know that there's going to be millions of people buying your junk, you know, always. Millions of people don't build million dollar buildings. <laughs> It'd be a, a different world if we did. So the competition is fierce and getting in front of people, building those relationships and fostering them and really caring for those relationships is what will continue to take you farther. And as a start, right, because that's where everybody has a question. So as a start, as a contractor, you're going to have to do some very unorthodox stuff. You know, like you're broke, like at the beginning, right? So you're going to have to like hand deliver some stuff, you know, maybe with gas you put in the mail, but <laughs> you, you figure out ways to like get stuff in front of people. You know, you, you buy the FedEx envelope and you don't actually mail it with FedEx, but you drop it in the mail slot up front you know, again, because you don't want to pay for the FedEx postage. But, like, this is the whole point of a lot of this stuff. You can use, like, the envelopes or the mailers without having to pay for postage, and you drop in the slot yourself up front. You, you know, send cookies to somebody. You send donuts. You, you know, drop stuff off at their offices. You show up, you know, and be around and, and do that kind of thing to where you get in the door, and especially as uh, a startup of, contractor just getting in the door with some guys maybe you've got you know you in a truck you've got to like grind at it for a little bit make in good graces with the contractors that you want to work with right and like let them also know that like hey man like we can only do certain type of projects because we can't fund it like all this stuff and right right be honest with those guys because you don't want to go out of business for getting too much work yeah, that's the definite flip side that no one wants to see. I, I would add that you got to be calculated in how you approach these relationship building endeavors too. You don't want to be the asshole. <clears throat> you know, you don't. There's a certain mechanical contractor who I won't name that for years, like clockwork, their business development guy would show up in my office once every couple weeks or every month, whatever it was. Nice enough guy, you know, we have conversations sometimes, but then it just came to, I would see him and I would like grimace, like, oh shit, he's here again. And the first thing out of his mouth after he said, hey, how's it going? You got anything we can bid on? Any, any work we can look at? And I would just tell him like, Dave, like this isn't how this is going to work, right? You're, you're now becoming an annoyance. I try to shut my door before you see that I'm in my office. If you want to have an actual conversation and get to know me or you know work on something other than just stuffing your coffers like there, there's a way there's a right way to do this and there's a wrong way to do it that's the wrong way to do it for anything and I don't I mean I think it goes with it's no different than me you know cold calling and spamming every decision maker type role I find on LinkedIn right you, you, then all of a sudden now you become an annoyance and I don't know I mean there's ways to bring value to relationships and there's ways to try to to use a relationship strictly for a one-sided gain yeah like you gotta have some conversations with people you know like make them bring it up almost bring some value it's that like so let's let's take go back to like your electrical contractors right they're prefab and they're doing stuff in their own shop they're really innovating in a way that would save you time. So if they sent you a video saying like, hey, 
we did this, this, and this on this project. Here's that contractor, you know, singing our praises, right? Third-party validation of how we did it. Here's a picture and video of our shop and of this process, and then here's like some video montage of us installing stuff. For you doing that, and then like a flip book with pictures and you know that's spiral bound, and they deliver that to your door. Their business development guy did that off the start. That would set the stage for a whole other conversation. Because now, because you put that value up front and like this is our process, this is how we work, this is how we can save you time, effort, energy, money, whatever, you know, cut schedule, which is money to you, then that allows you to then, as the BD guy for the electrician or the owner or whatever, or that electrical contractor, hey, Matt, I wanted to maybe answer some questions that you had on that uh, pre-con and like the fabrication pieces that we did, like what what can I help answer? And then you you go one of two ways, like I haven't watched the video yet. <laughs> I keep meaning to, or like, hey, I lost it, or yeah, I threw that away. And like, or, oh yeah, no, uh, I had this, this, and this question, I've been meaning to get back to you, or can you walk me through this, this, and this? And then, then that opens up, you know, subsequent conversations each time about how they can add value to what you do, whether they, whether it happens right then and there, doesn't really matter. And then you're looking for ways like, why aren't my guys doing this? Or you bring it to your electricians and then they don't, maybe they don't do it or can't or whatever. So then you try those guys out on a new project and that's six months later. And that shortened the whole cycle because again, you, you start up front with value in like a gift box basically that then you can follow up on the tremendous value provided up front for the duration of the relationship. Yeah, and it's not to say like I want a gift, but it's I want I want value. <clears throat> I want to build a relationship. I want to be when I see Dylan walking through the parking lot, I want to say, "Okay, let's brew a pot of coffee or, you know, grab a beer out of the fridge and let's let's take half an hour and chat." Not oh shit. Dylan's coming in again. He's going to come right up and he's going to beg for work and he's not going to, you know, have any substance to what he's doing and that's the part that makes me crazy. But to, to start with value and then and then just fostering a relationship. And and it's it's the long game. It's the long game in sales on any side of the table in this commercial construction world, right? It's I had a, a carpenter reach out to me on LinkedIn who's been following my junk, you know, and listens to the podcast and, and whatnot and, and he reached out and just said, Hey, I like what you're doing. I, you know, your stuff is pretty cool. Blah blah blah. If you ever want to grab coffee or lunch, you know, I'd be happy to sit down and chat with you or whatever, something like that. We set up and we went and met for coffee. Had a, I think I talked to the guy for an hour and a half, and, you know, I I make no, no qualms against saying that like we have a core team of of contractors we work with, <clears throat> but, <clears throat> I also know that. As, as my boat's growing bigger and bigger, that team's gonna have to get bigger and bigger too because Carpenter A isn't gonna be able to perform physically on all of these projects we're doing because they just don't have this, the capacity. So now what this guy's done, this new guy, is he's essentially secured himself a seat at the table. It might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but maybe in six months or in a year when we're looking at the next large product, next project period, you know, something's going to spark in my mind and say, hey, I'm going to give this dude a shot. And that's how that game works. And it, it's the same with with me going to, to owners, right? Me going to all these charity events and shaking hands and kissing babies and doing that <laughs> routine, you know? I don't expect to walk out of that golf outing with a contract signed. It doesn't work that way. But if I keep doing this and I keep shaking those same hands and, and kissing <laughs> the same babies for not to sound creepy, you know, I know that eventually somebody, one of them is going to call me when they have a, a need, they're going to say, Hey, you know, that dude who's always at the golf outings, let's at least have a talk, you know, and, and you do that by, by bringing value period. Yeah. I mean, you're not looking for, <clears throat> but this is the whole thing. Like if you're going after, let's just say, cause 
this is like the practical side of it. You got 10 firms. You got two guys in each firm. So you're looking for, you got 20 people. You can spend some time and do some research to figure out what those people like, what they do, where they go, ask around about them to figure out something that interests them. And then you can go in and have a conversation with the guy that you're somewhat knowledgeable about football or their sports team or, you know, whatever they care about, you know, or high school basketball, like whatever it might be that they like care about. And you can show up at those events. You can, you know, talk to them about that at the next outing and really strike up a real conversation with people. And again, ultimately it'll come back to you and they'll ask about what you do and all this other stuff. But if you give first, then you set it up to where when they do come back, they're drawn to you. You're not necessarily pulling them in, right? Or, or pushing them towards you. They're just magnetically attracted to who you are. Yeah, and it's, you know, you'd be amazed at how easy it is to find some snippet of common ground with virtually any person you could ever run across, whether it's <clears throat> dogs or kids or boats or baseball, you know, anything. There is, there's, as humans, we have that benefit, right? <clears throat> there's some snippet somewhere where every single one of us has something in common, at least enough to just spark a casual conversation. And that's all it takes. It's lighting the, it's lighting the match to, <laughs> to burn the woods down, right? Eventually, that, that spark's going to get moving. And, you know, you just got to be, you can't be afraid to talk to people and to be human and to not be a sales robot. Yeah, and I mean, if you don't necessarily want to cold call, door knock, that type of stuff, you know, send these care packages, send a handwritten note, do other things that they then call you, you know, it's a warm intro at that point. Do, do a newsletter. Yeah, the newsletter, you know, like I've been sending out, which I'm now sending out to a lot of prospects, uh, and they're just going to get it every month, so if you're listening to this and you're on that list, well getting a letter and <clears throat> that's what it is you know like and I used to include uh, sales letter and pitches and the way that I've moved it is you know it's just gonna be my value ladder and this is what I offer and if you want to come into my world here's how to do it no other offer needed within the newsletter and just a way to connect with people and I mean it's already paid for itself for life so it's huge. I read it. I mean, you, you kind of nailed that format in, in that you're providing value when, and you're asking for nothing in return. You're providing a monthly dose of insights into the market, industry tips, you, know, you name it, marketing tips. You're providing value and you're not, you're not the guy knocking on the door begging, begging, begging for something because nobody likes that. But you stuff like the newsletter stuff like you know a mailing or, or a, a quarterly postcard even you know just you want to keep top of mind but you got to do it in a way that you're not being annoying as shit because that's I mean we're all so busy the way you know your newsletter is a great example I get that and I read it on my own time I can pick and choose when I want to tear it open and, and sit down and, and focus on it Versus the guy who's knocking on my door, begging for something to bid on. You know, it just there's a there's a right way to do this and a wrong way. It goes to like, how do you want to be known and remembered when you show up? And it's just like going to the bar. It's like dating. You know, it's like any of that, right? If you're the old dude sitting in the stool at the end of the bar, that's a lonely place well you probably got some pretty good friends but like you're not picking up anybody right like you're there for social with the guys that you're typically there to hang out with at the bar or the golf club or whatever but if you really want to like set it up you have to be sought after you have to be wanted you have to be the life of the party so in hosting events right and 
hosting charities and being a sponsor donor and going up and giving talks that brings people to to you rather than you going to them now having the money to do that in the first place you know you reach a point to where now you can attract more but if you don't have the money it's doing things like yes you can you send the newsletter they're cheap it's under a dollar you know per prospect then on top of that you look at what are other ways that you can show up that attracts people to you you know what event can you kind of co-host or what place can you get a speaking piece at that you then record on video and blast out to you know on LinkedIn or whatever like there's a lot of ways to create a stage presence for yourself without actually having a lot of money you know go speak at the chamber go speak in it uh, better business bureau go speak in it Toastmasters or all these other things that can put you on a stage and a pedestal that whether you earned it or not uh, give you a higher standing and clout to bring people and attract them to you and again having a better story to tell helps a lot of that I mean the podcast that we do is free you know you can do this on your iPhone it's not <laughs> yeah I mean it's, it's relatively easy it's a it's a commitment right it's a commitment to showing up every week and providing value, or at least trying to provide value. Yeah, tips, tricks, all that kind of stuff work really well. So, I mean, uh, we've we've hammered here on B two B and relationships, but the reason that I wanted to cover this today and, and with Matt and doing it here is, I mean, that's the whole reason this podcast exists is relationships is providing value it's why we're in Raleigh today is you give long enough that good things happen and don't ever take it for granted and I, I think a lot of the the sales culture the stuff you might see online the hacks that people talk about in, <laughs> in sales it's all meant for like your you're hawking some used cars or you know a sofa or you're you know selling in retail or some other type sales environment where it's the worst thing that that person has to lose is the 500 bucks or a thousand or 20 or whatever that they're looking to spend on your deal right or even their car right they bought it for 50 and they well these days shit you can sell it for more but if you got it for msrp but like this is the whole point is like they're out a couple hundred bucks, whoop de do. You make a bad decision in construction, like there goes your job. It's very different stakes in B two B and in construction specifically. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> risk is the name of the game, right? That's that's why that's why we love what we do. That's why we're all in this industry. But there is huge risk on all sides of the table, all sides of every deal. And you know, if you if you screw up a relationship, you could be very quickly looking for a new line of work. It's just like uh, they've done studies or all the statistics for doctors, and good, bad, or otherwise, the it's not whether you were a better doctor. Or you screwed up less in surgery it was your bedside manner that determined how much you got to see case in point it's all about the relationship we're, we're human beings right <laughs> he was a nice guy he sure didn't mean to leave that in me you know <laughs> <laughs> oh it's okay he'll find it <laughs> get it out but I mean seriously like that's how that con like you know and, and we're doing it in the granny voice because that's who would do it you know <laughs> oh dr smith didn't you know really mean to leave that in me it's okay you know but that's that's what happens like that is the legitimate like way that works out they offer to fix it bring you back in pull out the scalpel <laughs> in you or whatever <laughs> like i mean it's funny but like that's how that conversation legitimately goes sure it's just, 
I mean, on the other side of that, it's like, you know, Dr. Dick over here, that, that son of a, he did what? He left who? He left a pack of Gosman on purpose, that prick. <laughs> you know, and then, oh, nice Mr. Smith's going to take this out of me because I don't want, you know, Dr. Dick to take this Gaza, you know, like, that's how that conversation, you know, they go and pick an, the nice doctor, even though, you know, he's got more staph infections than whatever. But, like, that's how that, like, you go and look, because the insurance companies do all this stuff, and that's what's been proven, Yeah, is that bedside manner matters more than actual skill. Makes perfect sense. In lawsuits, <laughs> not in outcomes. <laughs> like, <laughs> it makes perfect sense, right? We're social beings. We want to have relationships. We want to have value brought and, and given. Well, and in construct, so like the construction example is this, is, okay, I screw up on a project, but like I'm nice about it, you know, or I've been nice, I've been helpful, I've been going above and beyond the entire project. Something bad happens or something gets screwed up. The client's going to be way more lenient with me on that screw up like yes and I'll go and fix it right because I've done everything else right to that point but just a mistake happened like I'm probably not gonna get sued for it it'll just get fixed the client will probably pay for it you know as an engineer because like that's just how that would work out <clears throat> maybe I don't like the firm would owe something maybe but more likely it just gets taken care of client pays a little bit for it and is happy to do that and like, that's what goodwill buys you. Goodwill and good contracts. <laughs> Those for sure help. But that's, I mean, but that's the value of relationships. Yeah. You know, like, I, they, no one even went and looked at the contract. Right. They just said, fix it. Well, yeah, actually, now that you say that, it's when they do go look at the contract that you know you've already screwed up on the relationship side. If they're, if they're looking at that contract instead of just having a man-to-man woman-to-woman conversation to try and solve a problem you did something wrong already long before you oh, yeah. did your your work goof yeah this is why i always this is my other beef which we can talk about another show but read your contracts guys <laughs> know what's in them before you start yeah we, we we should probably redo a contract show i've got some good stories as of late but all right, well, you might hear that next week. Anything else to wrap up this show? <laughs> um, we beat this relationship horse? I think we beat the horse, so just More just be good to each other and don't don't forget where you put your pack of gauze. <laughs> <laughs> don't beat it like R. Kelly. <laughs> Gross. Or uh, Chris Brown or one of those guys. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, enough jokes. <clears throat> All kidding aside, um, this is probably one of the more important episodes that we've done. For sure. Recently. Uh, it's fitting. You know, it's a show on relationships. Dylan and I, we don't get to hang out in person often. This is the second time, really, we've ever been in the same room. So that's what it's all about, man. Building relationships, being good people. There's a lot of value out there for all of us, and this is what we're doing. At the end of the day, you don't you don't have to be in the same room. It helps, <laughs> but uh, you know you can do virtual happy hours. You can do <clears throat> a lot of things uh, to to foster relationships, not only with your team but with your clients, with your partners, everyone up and down the the board. So um, probably listen to this episode, guys. Take it to heart, um, and again understand that it's a it's a time game. Uh, I think me included. Uh, want this to happen sooner rather than later uh, but you got to understand that it, it takes time it takes you know hours of contact of conversation of getting to know somebody um, and you know like many of you and with the, the podcast you know you you know us better than we know you uh, but that's the point right is for you get to know us what we stand for what we care about and then uh, you know we've done you a solid and good that you share the show and that's that's all we ask is doing this for free uh, to share our lessons that we've mostly learned the hard way <laughs> take take 30 seconds and share the show leave us a rating 
give us a review if you're feeling awfully frisky. All of those things help to, to keep the listenership up and growing and, and keep us doing this. So, thanks, guys. And until next time. <laughs>